So welcome to uh, Beanstalk A&T University. This is a weekly class uh, where you can ask questions uh, to directly to Publius about any questions you have about Beanstalk. Um, and uh, yeah, we're all here to learn. Uh, there are no stupid questions. And uh, yeah, we'll go ahead and, and kick it off. How you doing, Publius? What's up, y'all? Uh, so you can feel free to raise your hand if you want to ask a question. You can also drop it in the uh, in the classroom. Sorry, I forgot what it's called the um, the the chat here. And uh, I'll read questions. You can also DM them to me. So uh, looks like most people here probably know the drill. So uh, yeah, we'll get this uh, get this kicked off. Let's see if we have any questions uh, in the in the chat here. Class discussion. Class discussion. Okay, we got a question from uh, Pubis. I always have questions. Will Beanstalk live on its own one day without active governance? For example, is there a goal to reduce protocol governance over time? Why or why not? Well, it defines what you mean by governance, ultimately. Beanstalk is designed requiring a 50% majority of stock to make any changes to be really resistant to change in general. At its early stage, it's a little bit easier to change because of concentration of stock ownership and the small community, which it seems like for the most part, everyone is relatively in agreement about the direction of Beanstalk, but as the community and the system grows and things get a little bit more divided, the system is designed such that it will be changed minimally. And that, so the question of it, will it require active governance or will it have active governance or somewhat different, uh, it requires governance because the goal of Beanstalk is to be flexible. Uh, and to, once you have a strong credit history, using governance to uh, remain flexible uh, while minimally changing the protocol uh, is ultimately the goal. We're still at the stage where, uh, and there's been a fruitful discussion in the questions channel about the weather, for example, uh, and maybe uh, being Bankman refried, uh, we see you're here. Uh, you may want to hop up here and we can talk about that in depth. But the goal is for, as the model itself gets more and more refined to be changed less and less. Uh, but the requirement for governance is likely to always be there to retain the flexibility that will hopefully allow Beanstalk to become an issuer of money uh, in a general sense. Uh, Bean Bank, but yeah, okay, you just topped up. Okay, do we have some, some questions, Bean Bankman? Yeah, didn't want to put you on the spot either, but just, you know, was very pleased with the discussion you were raising, and I think it's fruitful for us to continue the discussion in a little bit more long form, if you're willing. But I don't think we can hear you. I can't hear you, but it, I do see your 
your PFP lighting up. Um, wonder what's going on. Hey, you're not server muted, so it's probably it's probably dealing with your mic. Also, if you want to type it out for now, I could read it. Well, it'd be better if they fix their mics. We can have a, Agree. Uh, maybe a good discussion, but we're happy to wait. Um, and then in the meantime, maybe we can answer another question or two while they figure it out. Hey, can you hear me now? Yeah, now we can okay. hear you. All right, awesome. Um, hey, just to follow up on, on our discussion there, Publius, um, um, you know, the... The, the question I have is just narrowly looking at that, that scenario across three seasons, right? It doesn't seem like um, when the TWAP is over one, um, wouldn't we be better off just waiting for another season or, or for the TWAP to actually go under one to then increase the weather as opposed to making that, th that decision to increase the weather um, just 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 using the fact that the the sores you know there was no sow during that particular season i'm not sure if that completely makes sense and i'm and i do know that i need to go back to the white paper to look at it at more context with the soil well, well regardless of how clear the question may have been phrased it's the right question to be asking and to maybe to put put things into context there were a couple consecutive seasons that being uh, highlighted in the in, in the questions channel, I believe, where there were consecutive seasons above one for, with the TWAP above one. Uh, in one season, beans were sown, uh, and then the following season, the weather was decreased three percent. Uh, and then the following season, even though the TWAP was above one, there were no beans sown, and therefore the weather increased one. And the question is, well. If the TWAP is above one, why are we still raising the weather, right? Right, that's great. So it, it's important to understand the, the overall goal of the weather change system before we decide in a particular scenario what the right weather change is to make. So at a very high level, beanstalk is dependent on its ability to attract predators. Uh, as some people have pointed out in the questions channel, uh, siloing uh, assets also helps the protocol significantly. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that Beanstalk only needs uh, sowers. It can also benefit from silo members uh, and making the silo attractive. But from a pure economics perspective, Beanstalk is credit-based. And the tighter uh, maybe I should say it in a different way. The the more demand and the more consistent demand there is for soil, the tighter beans will maintain their peg in the long run. And so from a theoretical perspective, the question is, how can we create a system that uh, prices soil the most efficiently? And there have been a couple of different models like the basis model, for example, uh, is that every period they have to clear their equivalent of soil and people can place bids on the soil, but whatever the highest bid is, is ultimately going to be the clearing price. And the problem with some model like that, even though it allows the market to price the soil, is that 
in a in a season or in a time period where there's really no demand for soil, someone is going to bid 0.000001 percent uh, or something and bankrupt the system effectively. And so if you ever have a period where you have no demand, the system is entirely fucked. Beanstalk instead can with, withstand short or longer periods of time where there's no demand for soil for whatever reason. There may be a larger market crash. There may be a black swan event. There could be a million different things. But in general, Beanstalk takes a different approach to setting the weather and allowing the market to set the weather specifically by measuring every season demand for soil and then figuring out based on that demand for soil and the price and the debt level, whether or not Beanstalk should increase or decrease the weather. And therefore, even though demand for soil is one of the things, obviously the price and the debt level need to factor into a, a more sophisticated weather change mechanism. Now, I think it's important to highlight that from a like from a macro perspective, if we just look at the chart uh, and see how the weather has actually performed from launch, uh, it kind of makes sense in the grand scheme of things that after the initial pump and dump, the weather was continuously rising until mid-November when there was a really excess demand for soil for an extended period of time when the price was above one. And we saw the weather start to decrease during that period of time. However, because the soil, and this is something we've talked about in the past, because the minimum soil was uh, an inefficient parameter, the pod rate was actually decreasing during that time, even though the weather was decreasing. And so Beanstalk ended that period of time in November and December, early December, with a higher pod rate than before. And that's why the weather, I mean, in theory, should have started to increase again, because the system was actually in a less healthy spot. Now, with that said, the weather it makes sense to some extent has continued to rise because over the past couple months, beans have been for the most part below the peg. And uh, I think the more interesting period of time to analyze is over the past couple weeks, as the price has been at or oscillating above and below peg, that the weather has continued to rise more or less at a similar pace to what it was rising at before when the weather was, uh, or when the price was continuously below adult. Not exactly the same rate, but similarly high. And that is very clearly inefficient uh, or suboptimal. So the question becomes, well, maybe you can put a Band-Aid fix on it because of these exigent circumstances. But to date, we've really refrained from any sort of Band-Aids or anything of the sort and have tried instead to make longer-term changes to the model, especially in instances where there isn't like a, an immediate impetus to make the change. And I would use the data point that there's a ton of uh, not technically soil, but in theory soil uh, for the fundraiser that's available right now that isn't being eaten up even at the current weather. That is an indicator that in theory, you know, given that Beanstalk wants to attract demand for soil when it needs to, the weather should be higher at the moment. So, in you know, in my opinion, and this is an opinion, the weather from a macro perspective should continue to rate go higher in the short term. And therefore, there's nothing like worth changing the model. It's not worth changing the model in the short term over the next week or two with a Band-Aid given that it should probably be increasing anyways. And therefore, instead, the question becomes, you know, how can we use this time to really refine the weather change model and the demand for soil uh, model? And 
I think that is a very interesting question. And to date, not to toot our own horn, certainly, but if you look at some of the previous bits, that strategy of uh, taking our time uh, to make you know one-time changes that are ultimately beneficial has been a a, a good a good way to conduct uh, bits thus far. And I think for those reasons, we're not inclined to rush into anything. But and I know this is getting into a long answer, but maybe to give a little bit of color on how I'm or how we're thinking about demand for soil uh, and the weather changes going forward. Uh, you know, there is something to be said for like uh, beyond excessively high debt level, like a fifth category such that when the, when the pod rate is so, so high, the weather starts to decrease in its, you know, the rate at which it increases is decreased. So maybe instead of up 3% every season, you can have it up 1%, but that's not a particularly elegant solution to say the least. Um, but it's something we're thinking about. Um, I think in terms of a more elegant solution, it's important to put into context how the soil has changed and why that has an effect on demand for soil. So at launch, and again, this wasn't necessarily optimal. In fact, it was certainly suboptimal. The soil accumulated significantly over time. And therefore, the model of measuring the raw demand for soil on an apples-to-apples -apples basis from season to season made sense in almost every instance, except for when there was really excessive demand for soil. And even then, because there was a high minimum soil, more or less, you were going to be fine. And therefore, the way of comparing season-to-season -season soil made a lot of sense. Now, you have a, a fundamentally different season, a, a system where every season, Beanstalk only mints uh, the amount of soil either necessary to return it the price to the peg based on the current, the previous season's time-weighted average excess of beans in the pool, or a minimal amount of soil based on the amount of pods that were harvested in the weather. And therefore, there's sometimes a lot of soil, sometimes a little bit of soil, but the amount of soil from season to season isn't nearly consistent enough to necessarily use the measurement of demand for soil back-to-back uh, -back seasons as the best measure of demand. And that would indicate that maybe you're better off using an average, but then you start to lose the accuracy of the weather changes. Now, furthermore, you have a real problem in the sense that since since now you have kind of a fixed amount of soil every season that's somewhat random, uh, you, you run into a fee issue, right? Which is a friction that even though right now you could make an argument that, and I did make the argument that the the because of the fundraiser there it, there's evidently not a lot of demand for soil but you could also make the argument that there's not a lot of demand for soil because there's only 83 soil right now and who's going to pay 50 dollars to sow 80 beans um which is totally reasonable and so you know one of the things that needs to be taken into account in the new demand for soil model is that when the twap was greater than one over the previous season uh, there may be very, very minimal soil, and therefore the idea that you're going to raise the weather over the you know the start of the next season, even if there was ten soil, it's like, well, that probably doesn't make the most sense. So, I mean, these are some of the things that we're thinking about on the kind of the quest to coming up with a more efficient way to measure demand for soil, and you know, 
I, I don't have anything definitive at the moment to say, unfortunately, but it's like we recognize it's currently an inefficiency in the model. Uh, as I was saying before, I don't think that in the from a macro perspective, the system is directionally acting incorrectly and therefore don't think it's the end of the world and more inclined to continue to think it over to come up with like an optimal long-term solution. But it's not so simple and, you know, very open to what people have to say and their thoughts. But those are some of the things that we've been thinking about on this front. Thanks, Publius, for the detailed answer. Um, a quick follow-up and, and somewhat related. Um, the fundraiser, um, I'm, I'm not sure if there's a visibility problem in, in Sower's understanding that it's essentially the same parts that they get. Um, um, but there does seem to be some sewing happening in when when TVAP is greater than one. Um, I mean, I'm making an assumption there based on that that example that I shared earlier. But um, um, does it make sense for Beanstalk to then make the decision um, that when TVAP is greater than one, and if there's an open fundraiser, maybe send it towards the fundraiser as opposed to um, um, you know, towards uh, well, the well. The, the issue is that the fundraiser needs USDC in this instance, and so really the question is: Should Beanstalk take the beans that are sown and sell them into USDC? And a currently, that's not you know that would require a BIP. It's not necessarily a bad idea, um, you know. But from a from a general market perspective, the way Beanstalk is constructed. Is, constructed is it assumes people are going to be you know efficient actors at least in a in a minor sense right like this is this is the type of action that the protocol assumes people will figure out at some point even if it takes a little while whereas you know the goal is to have beanstalk do as little direct selling on the market as possible but this is actually an interesting idea okay I believe it was Thanks, something we thought about in the initial fundraiser discussion when we were figuring out how to structure it, but ultimately decided against it. Got it. There also might be some that's psychology with um oh sorry go ahead being back no I was, just, I was just saying that's all i had oh got it got it i was just thinking there might be some psychology with there being so much available that people might not be rushing in but if there was you know if we did it in five fifty thousand dollar chunks maybe people would uh you know think oh i better get this before someone else does um whereas when there's a lot people might not want to bring the expectation that the soil will become available that makes it kind of the same thing so it's it does not. it does but it just seems like oh you know there's no rush and maybe i'll um you know i, I don't know there's that kind of um, yeah i mean that's where the first in first out model should really have its effect but sure, you know sure. that you know this is all theoretical economics so from a behavioral perspective that may not be the behavioral that is currently being carried out and it's okay to acknowledge that right there's nothing wrong with that uh and from a ui or ux perspective we can try to make it a lot more clear what you can do to incentivize or encourage that type of, uh, you know, behavior, not incentivize it, but show where the incentives lie 
uh, to encourage that more efficient behavior, but ultimately the protocol should do as little of that as possible. Makes sense. Mod? Hi guys. Um, before asking my question, I, I also agree with the uh, with the fundraiser versus uh, solving thing. We're assuming that you know, um, which could be uh, true that uh, because we're not getting uh, fundraising that there is no demand for soil, but it might be just confusing for whoever is coming in that they don't understand what the fundraiser is, or it might be like something different. So maybe like let's stick to the um, to the field. Um, my question, Publius, is does it make sense? To, for, to instead of measuring demand for soil, or we measure demand for soil through change in debt. So uh, right now, as as you sell um, um, debt, or or you know we're selling soil, that debt increases. So if we're looking at the increase in debt, it's the same thing. Um, can, can can we do that? I understand that when we're above um, um, one, and you know um, if if we're if if we're not issuing that or we're not selling soil, then we don't measure it. But if we if we just look at the change in debt instead of demand for soil, uh, is that one way to, 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 to measure um, the demand for it? Well, you can do whatever you want, right? We can come up with an arbitrary measurement system. Now, the measuring the change in the pod rate, and you could do it from the beginning of one season to the beginning of the next season or from the beginning you know, from the end of a season to the beginning or the beginning to the end, there's a couple different ways that you could choose to measure it. So it's entirely arbitrary. But when you do use the pod rate instead of the, the like the change in soil, which is the current system, you you lose some fidelity in the data in the sense that there's an abstract, there's a change in the weather each season. And then you're also factoring in the the time-weighted average excess or shortage of beans. And so it's a more, like the change in the pod rate is a more uh, loaded data point might be the way to say it. It includes a lot more data points within it. And therefore you could make an argument it's a better thing to use to make changes to the weather because the pod rate is ultimately the main thing that should determine the health of the system. But this is actually a key point, right? Beanstalk doesn't make assumptions about, well, the pod rate came down and therefore the weather should come down. Like, no. What if what if the pod rate came down, but something happened and now there's a huge risk risk on or risk off event in the market? And for whatever reason, people decide soil is less attractive, right? For having nothing to do with anything else related to beanstalk, some external event. Um, beanstalk specifically doesn't make the causal relationship and say, because the pod rate is lower, now the weather should be lower. That's theoretically true, but Beanstalk doesn't say that. Instead, it looks at, well, every season we can, and again, the problem is that now that there's uh, an in, inconsistent amount of soil every season, it's not as accurate. But at least in theory, what Beanstalk currently does is it, it measures how much demand actually is there for the soil and compares it season to season as its highest fidelity measurement on whether or not, you know, the weather is appropriately priced. And in the world where the weather is appropriately priced, you would expect all or almost all of the soil to be sown. And the almost all is where we actually run into the issue because the 
almost always like the friction point below which it may not be efficient to sew independent of the weather because of gas fees. And, you know, it's very clear that in its current size, beanstalk is suffering from that or, or, or maybe uh, to some extent, you know, as a, if combined with the fact that people are unclear about the existence of the weather. But candidly, this is actually a problem that's likely to persist because even if beanstalk increases 100x in its supply, the weather may also come down 100x over that period of time. And therefore, the actual benefit, um, you know, in that scenario would actually decrease on a dollar to dollar basis. So it's like the the measure, the system by which the weather is changed and soil is measured, or maybe the pod rate is measured. Um, again, not inclined to do that because already you have the TWAP and the pod rate included in the system. Um, I think soil is a very important measure in, in creating an efficient beanstalk weather chain system, but ultimately there are no wrong, well, there are no, there are definitely wrong answers, but don't have any right answers at the moment either. I, I agree with you that um, the, the the pod rate um, as a, as a as a value uh, uh, doesn't doesn't work, but the the change in the pod rate is literally equal to the change in demand in soil. I mean, the pod rate can only increase if you're selling not, soil, not right? Yet. Well, if you're talking about just during a season, right? So now you're saying the change in the pod rate over one season and then comparing it to the next season. And that's effectively the same thing as demand for soil, but now you're also including the change in the weather. And therefore, you may have some instances where, because of the weather change, your measurement is slightly less correct than it otherwise would be if you were just using soil. Correct, uh, yes, you're right. And and because we're looking at the change, uh, which, which is which is looking at it all, not, not season over season, doesn't this kind of solve the same thinking that we were saying then if the pod rate is really high, but the increase in it is not, not, not as high, then the weather increases slower than how much it increases up there. Uh, do, do, you practice, see, do you see what I mean? In practice, that wouldn't, I don't believe that would have that effect. It would affect, like, unless you're changing the weather changes as a function of this, um, let's say you were just doing like a replacement, where you're now saying instead of demand for soil, we're gonna look at the change in the pod rate um, during each season and compare them over season to season, like in practice, that wouldn't actually have any effect on the outcome. Uh, no, sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to compare it uh, season over season. Uh, so you're, you're always comparing the change in the pod rate compared to the absolute value of the pod rate. Uh, uh, and if, if the pod rate is only increasing, let's say by, you know, 50,000 and when, when it's 600 million, so it won't have an effect on the pod rate as much as, you know, if it's increasing by, one million uh, over six hundred million. Not sure if, not, I'm, if I'm clear. Not sure if I follow you, but I think, yeah, I'm not sure I follow you. Yeah. So remember earlier when uh, you just uh, said um, an idea is to reduce the rate of the weather increasing as the pod rate increases. Correct. So if, if we look at the, the, the rate at which the pod rate is increasing in comparison to, you know, in, in compared to the whole of the pod rates, so then we, it, it kind of gives us the same thing where then we'd be like, okay, then it doesn't, we don't have to increase the weather that much or the rate of increase of the weather decreases because the rate of increase in the pod rate compared to the absolute value of the pod rate is, is low or, or lower. 
Yeah, again, I think the key thing to realize here is that we have to balance practical practicality in the sense that there are frictions and fees with a core model that is based in like fundamental economics. And at its core, Beanstalk requires there to be demand for soil in basically every circumstance. And so with the exception of when you have uh, soil below a threshold such that there's too much friction for people to sow, and I think that case needs to be handled in some capacity, which is not easy to do, um, probably not inclined to radically overhaul the mechanism by moving to like a pod rate based system or a delta pod rate based system. But again, there's no wrong answer here per se. Um, but, you know, I'm not sure that's the direction to head. Okay, oh, one last question. Um, sorry, I, the question just, I seem to have forgot. I'll come back when I remember it. Okay, no problem. All right, uh, the floor is open. Next question. Hey, Ariel. Hey. Um, so I have a potentially very basic and fundamental question, but is one that I've sort of been struggling to figure out on my own and will hopefully be helpful for others. So Publius, you've spoken before one example of being uh, uh, an application of its utility in the future would be using beans to bet on Sunday football. Can you just walk through the flow of assets um, in a scenario like that, like, like, how, am I borrowing beans to make to place my bets and then depositing the beans from my like, if I win the bet, am I depositing the winnings into the silo? How does that all work? And if I'm if I'm removing beans from the silo to make the bet, how does that affect stock and seed? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. So in short, there is, and it's important to delineate, in general, the stock system is designed such that assets that are in the silo for longer periods of time are likely to stay there. That stickiness is particularly meaningful for liquidity pool tokens, in theory. Um, now, beans, and this is the reason why, beans are constantly paid out as interest. Those newer beans don't have any grown stock associated with them at the start. And therefore, those newer beans have a lower opportunity cost to be used. So the hope is that there's lots of lower opportunity cost beans that people want to use. And then the higher opportunity cost beans are being converted to LP, if you will, such that uh, they're not forfeiting larger stock. And so the goal, uh, and again, you may have circulating beans, you may have uh, some sort of integration between the silo and a lending pool such that you could borrow against beans in the lending pool that are in the silo. And in a fully-fledged bean ecosystem, in theory, you could even have wrapped assets on the bean farm that you use as collateral against that loan, but maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, but the general point is, in some way, you you take beans out of the system, you borrow from the system, you withdraw them from the silo, or you buy them on the open market, and now you have beans. Um, in order for beans to be used to, be, to bet on Sunday football, in theory, 
um, they would need to be accepted uh, on a betting protocol uh, like Polymarket or Augur, which, uh, to the best of my knowledge, use a whitelist. And so let's say that beans are whitelisted on one of these platforms. Uh, and let's also say that there's a nice user interface uh, with which to use your beans uh, to bet on any of these markets. You would then either go and start to make your own market or you know, use your beans in an existing market, but it would be placing a bet through this UI um, and, you know, connected through your Ethereum wallet effectively. So the level at which that betting can be integrated into the bean farm or the, the silo could be infinite to some extent, to the point where you may have a betting protocol that is integrated with the bean farm to the, to the extent that you never need to actually withdraw your assets from the bean farm. Um, but that's, you know, a further more sophisticated vision and, you know, the the roadmap, the architecture we laid out in the roadmap will facilitate that, but step-by-step um, step is how we would get there. Perfect, thanks. Uh, at the end of the last DAO meeting, there was a fruitful discussion on the future of future of the seed and the one big open question uh, that was also in the roadmap that you recently published since the last AMA. Um, I wonder if you want to talk a little bit about uh, the big open question and the the benefits and the downsides to maybe saying goodbye to uh, to the seeds. Sure. So. One of the big discussions that's worth having, and it was started to a large extent in the DAO meeting on Thursday, is whether or not to continue to go forward with the concept of fungible seeds. Uh, fungible stock is a no-brainer, um, but as, as we've been thinking about how Beanstalk will operate, hopefully for years and years in a multi-chain uh, ecosystem and how Beanstalk should position itself, ultimately the goal is for maximum flexibility such that no pools are necessarily permanently included in the silo for whatever reason. And the issue with, and, and maybe one of the things to say before we get into the issue is the gauge system that is outlined in the white paper where pools can be added to receive stock and seeds or stock and grown stock um, in a world without seeds, you would still receive grown stock. Um, that system loses a lot of flexibility. And this is where the problem lies if you have fungible seeds, because you can deposit in any of these pools, uh, receive your fungible seeds. And then even if the pool gets deprecated, you're still receiving grown stock. And therefore, there's no way for Beanstalk to really deprecate a pool in any capacity. Whereas if you get rid of fungible seeds, Beanstalk can turn off the faucet in a given pool such that there stops being grown stock awarded to that given pool. And therefore people may choose to retain their assets there which aren't receiving grown stock or they may convert it to another asset uh, that continues to receive grown stock or they may withdraw it and forfeit their grown stock. But the idea is that uh, that will allow for a lot more flexibility within the system. And if you have fungible seeds, 
you do lose that. So the the discussion is whether to march ahead with the original vision to have fungible stock and fungible seeds. And the main, you know, if we were to steel man that argument, the main reason for that to retain that is there's a lot of beauty in having an ecosystem with two different assets that are futures on the growth of the system with radically different risk and return profiles. I guess not risk profiles, but certainly return profiles and time horizons over which those returns would be expected. And therefore, you could have a nice interplay where people can trade the stock to seed ratio based on their expectations of when beans are going to be minted. That's really cool. I mean, it would it would kind of stink to lose that. But at the same time, it's important to realize what Beanstalk is trying to achieve in the grand scheme of things. And therefore, I think, you know, we would we would probably make the argument that retaining maximal flexibility is probably the way to go. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Hey, good evening, good morning, where everybody, wherever, wherever you guys are. Do you hear me? Okay, dumpling. I hear you great. Okay, great. Um, Publius, I was just reading the roadmap. Um, very, very well done. Um, I'm still going back and reading it uh, just to try to get a full picture. Uh, one thing I noticed, um, and I just wanted to clarify. Uh, in one part of the roadmap document, um, it was mentioned that non-fungible tokens, uh, for example, Uniswap B3 LP tokens, uh, may also be incorporated into the silo at some point. I was curious for your thoughts on that because of the way Uniswap V3 works with uh, concentrated liquidity and um, what advantages you, you see from potentially incorporating uh, that in the silo and were you thinking um like being trading against other stable coins uh, as an example of that and would if that were the case would somebody like um an lusd holder or whatever other stable coin that may be incorporated in the future uh would would um depositors be able to essentially offer um or provide a single-sided liquidity uh, to the silo in that case and how would that work thank you so if you have something like Uniswap V3, then in theory, yeah, you could add concentrated one-sided liquidity or however you'd like in theory um, within the, the restrictions of Uniswap V3, that is, but it's pretty flexible. Now, it's important to state the reason even though V3 existed when Beanstalk was launched, Beanstalk initially used Uniswap v2 and now uses curve is that those are both uh use a continuous uh constant product amm and uh that's much more useful for uh both minting uh and continuous liquidity when the goal is to minimize a run on the bank and it's a lot more sophisticated just to state the problem to integrate and specifically figure out what is the bean denominated value of a given 
liquidity pool position per se in a V3 structure where you can add somewhat arbitrary liquidity at arbitrary concentrations. And so the question is, what's the B, what's the BDV formula um, per se? And uh, it's not, not necessarily so trivial. Now, it's very attractive to have Beanstalk accept arbitrary liquidity pools that have different structures, not just like a constant product AMM, for example, or a stable swap AMM, which is curve. Um, so it's like, ultimately, we want the silo to accept really arbitrary assets. And this is just one step in the direction to enable lots of different cool things like one-sided liquidity, like you were suggesting. But that's not, as we were saying before, necessarily the most symbiotic with the core mechanism and therefore it's not the highest priority either. Great, thanks. Hey, Mr. Manifold. Good morning, good evening, hey everyone. Um, so my question, uh, Publius, is is twofold um so i know we've spoken about stock as a collateral type um and as stock becomes fungible you know implementing stock as collateral in, in various protocols and integrations and whatnot um so my my first question is you know how do you view the attractiveness of stock as a collateral type um, when considering, you know, the, the possible volatility in the pricing of stock um, and the uncertainty of a collateral type that, you know, frankly, it seems pretty novel, right? And, you know, there's unlimited supply of stock. Um, and just like, you know, do you have general views on how you'd expect, you know, stock to play out as a collateral type um, and, and kind of act in the market? That's a great question. I mean, the first thing to note is that stock is yield-bearing uh, or yield-generating. And one of the things that DeFi has seen a preponderance of over the past year plus is a desire to be able to take out loans against yield-bearing assets. And so the starting point is that stock because it is yield bearing even though it's not necessarily consistently yield bearing is attractive from that perspective and we would just note that also is why seeds are also attractive in theory as a collateral type because they have consistent yield in the form of consistent stock so it's like that's another thing that you lose to some extent now stock has a at least theoretical hard cap price at one because you can always buy a bean, or at least has a hard cap price at the price of a bean, um, which isn't necessarily a dollar, but because you can always deposit a bean and get a stock, at least one stock, uh, you're kind of capped out at that price and you would expect arbitrage to retain uh, one bean as the max price of a stock. Now, there isn't necessarily a floor price in stock. Stock could be worth a zero uh, for periods of time now, if you look at the how Luna trades, for example, that's probably unlikely. And so given that you're going to have a pretty tightly bound range from 
uh, above zero to less than one. I think stock is a pretty interesting collateral type because it should it shouldn't trade to zero and to one and to zero and to one. Uh, it should trade in a slightly tighter range than that and stabilize over time as people start to get a sense of how to price stock and model out the future growth of beans and they're they're obviously related. But I would say once stock really becomes more of a future on the growth of beans, even if let's say the expectation is that the bean supply has to decrease in the short term before it increases or whatever it may be, you're not going to have a scenario, or at least it would be unlikely to have a scenario where in the short term, the stock price tanks 50% unless, and this is where things get really interesting, unless the bean price tanks 50%, except the bean price tanking 50% is likely highly correlated with a, a lot of withdrawals from the silo. And a lot of withdrawals from the silo will result in a decrease, a significant decrease in the stock supply. And so even when you have a decrease in the bean price, there's a theoretical argument to be made that stock should increase in value relative to a bean. So that should theoretically dampen its volatility. Now, who knows how this all plays out in practice? And I think stock trading and having a high level of liquidity against bean uh, will go a long way towards helping people price it and establish it as a collateral type. But, you know, this is just some, some thought vomit. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Super interesting. Um, I, I think, you know, to your first point, you know, on, on the yield bearing aspect of stock, um, I don't know if anyone else has good examples of this, but, you know, most of like the yield bearing collateral types in DeFi that I can think of that are, are attractive or, 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 you know, stable coins that are you know, like magic internet money, like looping, you know, yarn, yarn stable coins or anchor stable coins and things like that, which there, you know, which for the most part shouldn't have too much deviation or volatility. So, um, you know, curious to see how that plays out. I think it's interesting to think about. Um, so my second question was um, in terms of another sorry, another potential collateral type uh, with fu uh, semi-fungible LP tokens. I know you spoke about um, in the chat uh, that LP positions are potentially going to be ERC-721s, or sorry, 1155s. Um, and I guess my question is, do you know um, of any protocols currently using or implementing 1155s as collateral types? Um, and... Or, and or, you know, is that something that would be attractive for, you know, a protocol to come in as partner to kind of support that as a collateral type for Beanstalk? So off the top of my head, I don't, I don't actually know of any protocols that accept 1155s as collateral types, but I also haven't looked at it. So I, it's just a question of not, it's an, it's a question of ignorance. Um, with regards to the attraction of using LP tokens or bean deposit, LP deposits or bean deposits as collateral, that's interesting, certainly. And I think the goal, I mean, what you highlighted about maybe finding a partner to enable that if, if there's not currently the ability to have 1155s used as collateral, like that, that'd be dope as fuck. So 
uh, yeah, love what you're thinking about on that front. Cool. We'll look into it. Uh, that's all. Thanks, guys. Uh, from the class discussion. Yeah, I would, asking, I, would maybe, I would maybe just say uh, there's also talk with Fiat DAO about using pods as collateral. And so you guys can get a sense of how powerful this whole ecosystem can start to be if all of its assets are fungible and can be used in other protocols as collateral. And Beanstalk has a cost to make beans of basically zero. And so it can grow infinitely into that demand that is caused by its integration of all of its fungible assets or semi-fungible, uh, you know, that's a good way to put put it manifold, uh, all of its assets. So this is, I hope, you know, we're doing a decent job of communicating how this may all come together. And the roadmap is the step-by-step -step for how all this architecture needs to get built to enable it. Certainly, yeah. Um think the more that you start to think about <laughs> these things and it, it does get very exciting when you think about the whole ecosystem that can be built yeah and i mean i would just maybe also highlight the fact that beans are at peg that's the most important thing and more than that if we oh and i have to click the launch app here how cool is that um but if we go to the pod rate chart to me, this is where a picture is worth a thousand words. You you can really see that the pod rate has started to stabilize. And so if you think of the debt level as the overall health metric of the system, and you combine that with the fact that beans have started to really oscillate much more tightly above and below a dollar, uh, and it seems like that's going to continue to happen, uh, that has afforded us the opportunity to, to think a little bit more big picture and work on things like the roadmap and think think about things like stock and seed fungibility. So it's it's a very exciting time and uh, we 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 want to just make make sure that there's sufficient openness and documentation such that everyone can participate in whatever capacity they want to help make this vision a reality. Um, next question comes from Rex. He's saying, hey, are there any updates on the initial Omnisha audit or the or word from Trail of Bits? So Trail of Bits hasn't been started yet. Uh, I believe we're scheduled for a couple weeks down the road, early April or something. I'd have to check the calendar. Um, but Omnisha is underway. They sent us like the beginnings of a preliminary report, uh, which were very positive in the sense that there wasn't any glaring issues that they found. Uh, so that's good. And we're now starting the process of going through and making the minor tweaks that they want to see to, you know, for example, inefficient use of safe math or whatever it may be, or you know, if Beanstalk lasts a thousand years that the seasons might overflow, um, those are good problems to have in our eyes. So uh, minor tweaks like that, um, obviously, since we keep pushing BIPs, uh, it, it, it's going to be a, a couple weeks, to say the least, until uh, they're kind of fully audited the latest code and 
you know, we haven't pushed a new BIP since then. So not sure when that public report will happen, but um, we're also not going to rush them because we don't want to rush the process. Uh, but at the same time, pretty encouraged by that initial report. Nice. That's, that's really great to hear. Okay, uh, floor is open. Anyone else has questions? In Merchant, are you somewhere you can talk? Also, I was just going to shout out um, Bean Toven. Got a chance to listen to your songs, and yeah, man, that's fucking awesome. Like, really, really cool stuff. I loved it too. I'll um, I'll post. I put one on a uh, SoundCloud. I'll get the other ones on there so people can listen and maybe just post a. I'll post a link in the general because those were really, really awesome. Hey, Bean Toven. Well, it's been a pleasure talking this with everybody and you know becoming part of the community. I'm I'm new to the community, so you know learning every day and uh, yeah, happy to do what I can and hoping to do a lot more. Love it, really, uh, really love it. Welcome to the Bean Farm. Thank you, thank you. It's an honor. Didn't mean to cut you off there, Syncubate. Yeah, Syncubate. Hey guys, yeah, just real quick. I know because we've been over the past few calls. I think we've marketing has been coming up, and I was watching this um funny. Well, it was in, it was Sunny from the Cosmos ecosystem and Vitalik. I don't know. This was maybe a few months ago. I was just recently watching the video of them talking about various things, and Sunny brought up this friends with benefits thing, <laughs> and it was hilarious. Vitalik didn't know the meaning of that right away, but um, I was I thought about right when I was I was listen to that i was like you know the common like on twitter like with crypto twitter they they instead of friends everybody refers to each other as friend f-r-e-n right and then i thought about bean nfts right so what if we had something like friends with bean nfts like benefits like you know the does that catch on to anybody <laughs> that's <laughs> fucking hilarious oh my goodness like oh what do you guys my think god of that? wow Friends with me. benefits, yeah. That's so, good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so just throwing that out there, we could we could we could think about that more. But I just wanted to throw that out there. So. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I'm into that. <laughs> Love it. What a play on words! Wow. Our community is so cool. Thank you, babe. I always imagine you like sitting in a leather chair, smoking your pipe, thinking these things. Thinking deep thoughts. Only it was that. Uh, no, it's well, that's, usually that's the least tough. deep thought. <laughs> that's the least deep thought you've ever shared. But it's funny now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it just turned into like a beach chair. <laughs> oh, the different kind of pipe. <laughs> I just keep thinking like we have. Yeah, we have just so much like the narrative of Beanstalk. There's so much to work with. And that's just one great example of that. So, yeah. The memes in the, in the class discussion are top tier. Uh, 
This is great, guys. If we didn't have so much work to do, we would just hang out in the Discord with you all the time. Okay, yes, and I will. I'll drop. Uh, I'll drop the Beethoven Bean songs because uh, those are those are great. Beethoven, I'm sorry. I know if they're not the 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 version that you that you want, but they're too good to. I can't keep them from the community. Yeah, maybe we got to get be Beethoven to, to to make a channel or something on on Spotify. For sure. Fun stuff. We were even right. talking about uh, TB had the idea. TB was like, "Well, we should have a whole Bean album." I was like, "That's that's so awesome!" And there's enough material. I think we could do it. Yeah, I think uh, we could have a lot of fun with that. This is, uh, I don't know. It's good to have fun, guys. It's good to have fun. It's a lot of fun. We're, we're having a blast. I'm also getting metaverse stuff from, uh, from being intern. So that's going to just, uh, I don't know. It's something there. In Bankman, you got a last question for us? Hey, um, yeah, real quick. Um, the other day there was a spaces with, um, uh, Sam from Frax and, and, uh, one true Kirk from Volt. Um, and it looks like they were referring to uh, favoring um, a peg to an FBI. Um, and I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on, um, you know, possibly changing the peg um, to an inflation resistant article. Well, it would just be a different currency, like a different bean pegged to a different asset that's also reliant on the credit of Beanstalk. The goal is not to have one bean pegged to one asset, it's to have beans pegged to a variety of different assets that then, based on market demand, Beanstalk can issue the appropriate beans in the appropriate denomination. So there's nothing to prevent that, but in its current state, that's an additional complexity Beanstalk's not really ready for. And instead, the goal is to focus on its current bean peg maintenance. And then once there really is a, a strong sustainability to the credit-based model, then you can expand to other other bean denominated, you know, bean denominations. Yeah, I think a, a, a follow-up on that. Um, um, if, if we were to have, you know, multiple bean denominations, you know, let, let's, let's say a bean being euro, for example, a, a peg to a euro, right? <clears throat> um, how do you imagine the the pod line works at that point? Are we looking at creating an entirely new pod line for um, that token, or is is that no? Going ultimately, to be... like the let's think about how minting is going to work when we move to the Bean Three Curve pool, in addition to the Uniswap V Two Bean ETH pool. The Delta B for minting which is currently just the time-weighted average excess or shortage and liquidity-weighted average. I, I always forget that, uh, to add that. Uh, in the Uniswap pool, it's also going to extend to the curve pool. And the way it makes the most sense to combine those two time and liquidity-weighted averages is to sum them. And therefore, if you have a 
time and liquidity, time and liquidity weighted average for another pegged asset. In that case, you can just add that to the delta B. And then the question is just how do you denominate that soil? But you denominate it in beans. So as long as you have a bean to uh, bean NFTPI or a bean euro, uh, as long as you have that ratio to convert that delta B for the sum, there's no problem. It'll just be one soil total. Got it. That makes sense. Um, I guess uh, um, um, a somewhat related question to the question on marketing earlier. Um, do, do you feel like you're at a spot where you can um, maybe spend some more time around, um, you know, these getting into conversations like these on Twitter spaces and and things of that nature? Because, the, you know, I, I was thinking it would be great to have a bean point of view on, on something, you know, discussion like that with uh, multiple other stablecoin protocols? The short answer is shout out Bean Merchant, who spent way too much time trying to get us able to use Twitter spaces with our voice modifier, but we can officially do that. So the hope is, I think Bean Sprout has put together the Twitter spaces with Rune, uh, for some time next week, I believe, and therefore, you know, that'll hopefully be the first of many. Nice, looking forward to that. All right, let's all ahead. All right, yeah, I'll post that. Um, we just have a graphic coming from uh, from Dee's Beans here. I'll post that so that you guys can see it. Um, for that Twitter spaces. So that's that's really great. And we want to promote that far and wide. So if you guys can retweet that, if you can, you know, whatever you can do to help promote that, that's really great. We want to get a lot of bean, uh, bean PFPs listening in. <laughs> and the bean army obviously will be on that, so. All righty, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you for the great questions and the great discussion. I think Beanstalk is so much better off with this this high quality discussion. So uh, it's fun to joke and stuff a little bit uh, at the end there, but uh, it's 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 very encouraging the quality of discussion and also the quality of the people that are joining Beanstalk Farms. I think this week we added uh, at least two either soon to be PhDs or soon to be PhD dropouts, which is, I mean, how cool is that? So uh, the IQ of Beanstalk Farms continues to raise and uh, it's all very exciting. So uh, thank you everyone for coming and talk to you soon. Okay, thanks everyone.